This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In the spirit of ANU's motto, which is first to know the nature of things, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and waterways which were never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. I ask the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. I'm here to make a public statement. Look, I'm going to shirt from Mr I am a fighter and not a fighter. I don't think I know. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Hello there, Mark Kenny, with another episode of Democracy Sausage, which of course comes to you from the Australian National University. I'm with the Australian Studies Institute and the School of Politics and International Relations. And we are recording a slightly later episode this week, as is customary in May when we have the federal budget, because that, of course, of course occurs on a Tuesday. I have spoken to the Treasurer about possibly moving the budget so that we could stick to our Tuesday democracy sausage schedule, but uh, he's considering it. You know, We'll see whether that comes up. But... Um, So we're doing this on a Wednesday. That gives us the opportunity, of course, to rather than talk about what might be in the budget, to talk about what actually was in the budget and and to uh, get a sense of, you know, what it all means, what it means economically, what it means politically, uh, what it means for people out there uh, in the economy in in the various places in which they find themselves, the circumstances they have and um, how it affects them. And to do that, we've got two of the best. Peter Martin is a visiting fellow here at the ANU. He's also the business and economy editor at The Conversation, a former colleague of mine in the Fairfax days, and, uh, of course, a semi-regular on Democracy Sausage. Welcome, Peter. Good to be here. And also Professor Miranda Stewart. Now, Professor Miranda Stewart's been with us before as well. She's a a world expert on tax uh, and these kinds of things. She's the director of the Tax and Studies, uh, Tax Studies and and the Tax Group at University of Melbourne. And she's also a fellow of the Tax and Transfer Policy Institute at the Crawford School of Public Policy at ANU. And always a pleasure to talk to you, Miranda. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's a great pleasure. Now, what we saw yesterday, uh, Peter, was uh, a surplus announced. Um, that, in a sense, I suppose this is kind of a nerdy question in a way because it's 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 a very political thing, a surplus, as well as being an economic number. Um, and it's a Labor government announcing it after 15 years uh, since the last time a, a surplus was actually uh, delivered, assuming this one is delivered at the end of this financial year, but we're pretty close to that, so it's. Uh, I think that's next month, Mark. I, I, <laughs> I think we can bake this one in. <laughs> we can bake it in, but it is relatively small at four point two billion. It's not nothing, but it's and and it's and it's in the black. So um, you could actually make some back in black mugs now and um, be reasonably confident that you won't be embarrassed by them for the next several years, which has happened to a, a former government. But um, what, what do you make of the of the surplus itself, um, and what do you, I suppose? 
suppose this is a question about what do you make of the decision to have a surplus, given um, that uh, it could have been spent theoretically on some things, but um, uh, the government's shown some level of generosity, but some level of restraint as well. He almost had no choice because the 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 way the the budget has been tracking is it was in surplus in March, uh, uh, doubtless in surplus in April. We hadn't seen those figures. Uh, we'll get the uh, the May figures soon, and uh, hey, June's next month. So um, it, it, they've had an avalanche of revenue. Uh, this is something of a of a shock to people who haven't been following this closely, because you know everything else that we've been told about the economy recently, which is why in, interest rates been going up and so forth, and 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 all the spending that happened during the the, the COVID crisis, the pandemic, uh, was about you know spending vast amounts of money, borrowing to keep the economy afloat, keep employers and employees linked together, and you know doubling the dollar and all those things that happened, which spent money. I think most people who are not sort of closely following this would be surprised, maybe not surprised yesterday, but surprised in recent weeks to find out that there's been this massive revenue surge. What's who, been do we, who do we thank for it? Actually, apart from, uh, you know, thanking uh, Vladimir Putin, um, because that- that uh, A that, great humanitarian, that, yeah. That, that helped push up the price of all sorts of commodities, including iron ore, which is twice the price mm-hmm. that, that was expected uh, in the October budget. Um, it's Josh Frydenberg and uh, and uh, Matthias Corman too. So what they did during COVID was decide to abandon black in the back in the black. Decided as they had to to spend really big to support the economy, and they said this will in time come back to us as greater tax revenue because we are going to get hundreds of thousands of people who would have been unemployed. Paying tax. I mean, they don't all pay tax because some of them are employed in in low income jobs. But a lot of extra taxpayers. Um, Frydenberg, when the sort of COVID economic crisis was over, Frydenberg doubled down in his final budget, partly for political reasons, partly partly, partly. Par- partly for economic <laughs> reasons as well. To see, given that we'd broken the back of unemployment, given that we got it below four percent, something which had hardly ever happened, he wanted to see how far we could push it by spending big. Now we did that and we're actually getting the dividend of that. So we got $42 billion in one year, unexpected revenue, that's in this financial year, Mm. and another 42 in the next, unexpected revenue rolling in. The treasurer basically couldn't stop calling a surplus, but you are right in saying that this was a choice. And I think there's a lot of, if you look at the conversation, you see it on the uh, uh, on on the website at your uh, your nearest uh, vendor of news sites. Uh, if you look at it, you, you'll see a cartoon which um, by Wes Mountain, a ca- cartoonist. It shows the treasurer as a showman walking into a show that says surplus. He is putting on a show, but the show is putting on, and you know it, it shows a sort of rather embarrassed Morrison and uh, and so on being pushed out of the way, and a few hands trying to grab some help. Uh, you know, people who are poor, um, but he's putting on a show, but not the show you might think. The usual show that someone puts on, a treasurer puts on, Keating, uh, Costello, uh, Swan, Frydenberg. We have returned the budget to surplus. We are good managers and there it will stay. He hasn't done that. He said, yeah, I've delivered a surplus. 
it won't be a surplus next year, probably won't be the year after, probably won't for the next 10 on, on, on these figures. So what? Now, by doing that, he has, I think, killed the idea that this is an economic virility test, right, that this really matters. It's true, the previous Treasury killed it as well by, uh, it, you know, uh, justifiably running up huge deficits during COVID. Well, he wasn't the first one to do that, in fairness. Well, no, it happened during the global financial crisis exactly. as well. Um, but he has killed the idea that this matters. He's killed it politically. From now on, in the same way as you don't hear people talking about, you know, aside from the odd politician, debt and deficit disaster anymore. COVID killed that. We're no longer worried about that. Um, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I could if I looked up, but as it happens, I think I did look up how interest payments on debt are going down. But um, no one has paid much attention to that this morning, the morning after the budget. He has killed now the idea that the surplus matters. It's as a piece of political theatre with long-term benefits as it happens. I think it's stunning. Interesting. Uh, your response to that, Miranda, or your interpretation of what did you think of the budget? Uh, yeah, look, certainly the surplus, I mean, it's it's delivered by that low unemployment in particular, those commodity prices and inflation. I mean, only inflation to the extent that it drives higher GST revenue because prices go up and to the extent that wages are increased in an inflationary era, then of course we get more tax revenue. But really the unemployment number helps a lot because there's just more people in the workforce paying some income tax uh, as well as the commodity prices. And not drawing uh, unemployment. And not, uh, so well on the expenditure side, mm. uh, reducing transfers out. Um, but uh, I, I think Peter's right in the sense that kind of every day the revenue forecast is going up. So even if you planned to spend most of it, you know, two months ago, you, but today you wouldn't have spent most of it, there'd be even more because we're in this sort of odd combination of economic factors. I think looking forward, it is kind of interesting. The budget aggregates going forward is predicting that negative uh, underlying cash balance uh, out to 26, 27. So as Peter said, a surplus in 22, 23, um, but deficits in each of those following years, although declining as a share of GDP. So there is a strong assumption that growth will, will absorb some of that. Gross debt will continue to go up but more slowly and, in fact, as a percentage of GDP is projected to stay basically the same, 36% of GDP, net debt, uh, in fact, a little higher than in the current year. And when you combine that with some of the other economic assumptions in the out years in the budget, inflation will come down but unemployment will go up. Uh, uh, growth will come down. And so what, what we see is that we're not going to have this kind of bubble of revenue uh, if those projections are correct. We're, we're, kind of, we're in this little sweet spot in the current year. It's a very brief sweet spot, Miranda. It's like a surfer yeah. catching a wave. Um, what's about to happen, the wave that's about to, to Sounds wash Sounds like you were us. reading my column from this morning. Uh, I haven't read it, but great minds think alike, <laughs> Mark. Um, it, it, what, what's about to happen is that uh, GDP will grow appallingly low on, on the, the government's measure, which is a year-on-year -year measure. It's different to the one most people use. 1.1%, the one most people use lower, probably about 1%, almost not at all. Population is going to grow 1.7%. So that, wasn't the Treasurer predicting growth between one and a half, one and a quarter and one and a half percent? 
Well, it depends. Most people, sensible people, look at growth from one point to another. Mm. The budget figures compare an entire financial year with the entire financial year before it. So you you get a different figure. Um, It produces, uh, with population growing faster, a per capita recession. Living standards are about to go backwards. Unemployment is about to rise on on the government's forecast from three and a half percent to four and a quarter and and then to more than that, um, you know, that's going to take away or, or require more people to be on benefits. Also, um, even though you've got that population growth, uh, jobs aren't going to grow. So you've had unemployment, you just had employment growth of two and a half percent in the last year. Next year, it's going to be one percent. I mean, this is uh, a very brief sweet spot, as Miranda calls well, it. Things are going to get bad from here on, and they're not going to get much better after that for quite a while. Yeah, and that raises a very interesting sort of political dilemma for the government because, uh, as Miranda made the point, um, in fact, I think you made the point. It might have been before we were recording. I'm not sure. but um, We do uh, our best stuff then. Uh, that's right. Um, uh, you know, we know we've got an election coming up in 2025. And so, you know, you look at this in an economic way, but I also look at it in a political way in terms of the cycle. And um, those predictions are certainly more dire. We see lower growth, as you say, higher unemployment, which is what the Reserve Bank is trying to bring about. I mean, uh, uh, Philip Lowe said recently if he could get to 4.5% unemployment, um, and have in, have uh, in inflation trending back into that um, band that the Reserve Bank looks for, he'd regard that as a success story, which is which is fine because four and a half percent unemployment is historically low. Uh, you know, as a um, we, we don't normally have it at that level, Miranda. But uh, it's a it's a kind of a mismatch for the government. It's get, it's got some great news this year, but it might sort of start to turn away from it. Uh, as as the term matures, I think there is some policy measures. Um, I'm glad to see you suggest, uh, Peter, that um, it's it's good that we're not anymore seeing a surplus as a sign of virility. Uh, to be honest, it'd be good to get the testosterone out of this uh, budget balance altogether. And um, I, I think there are some measures that the government is is taking: uh, paid parental leave, aged care wages the expanded childcare subsidy, which was previously announced and which probably does need a bit more work, the, the sole parenting payment uh, payments out, which are, these are actually investments in the future workforce. And to some extent, they're investments in not only gender equity, but also better employment results. Uh, I think one of the problems with unemployment is that it's it's really sector driven, right? And so the new migration that's coming in will go into some sectors where we really need the employment. Um, uh, but also if we enhance the wages in those sectors, we'll have more tax revenues too, right? And we do have jobs available in those sectors, aged care, childcare. We desperately need people in those sectors. Uh, so it's more a matter of changing the, the labour market, I think, uh, while trying to keep the overall unemployment rate as low as possible. Do you think, though, that there's, um, uh, looking at the circumstances set out in the budget, um, the predictions for um, in- income from, say, commodities are always low uh, because, or at least they're lower than they are now because they have, they look at iron ore price, for example, at $55 a tonne, which is well below what it is at the moment. It's about 90. Every budget, they say, this can't last. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and one day they'll be right. But what they've actually done is well, to- Well, they've been. it has happened before that they've been right. <laughs> it didn't last. And I think that happened to Wayne Swan. The Wayne, yeah, the, yeah. The, that mining boom um, ended- but, they but, are adopting a changed methodology 
which still results in the iron ore price halving, but it halves more slowly than it would have. So they're being um, so they're having a bob each way. They're being slightly more realistic, perhaps than they were. But it's right for quite a few budgets. This has been a hollow log, you know, Christmas present that. And it worked for Peter Costello for a long time as well. He had sort of rivers of gold coming in. Oh, um, he had to hide money. I mean, he was getting so much. <laughs> yeah. so I mean, much he did. He invented tax. he invented all sorts yeah. of um, all sorts of places to park money. Rang up, you know, organisations and said, "Would you like an extra boost for your budget?" You know. But what, where I was going, Miranda, was that um, is it possible that the even that that deficit for next year doesn't materialise or doesn't materialise in anything like? I think it's what thirteen. 13, 14 billion uh, for 23, 24 projected. Could it be like this year? We've just seen uh, we've just seen a projected deficit wiped out. Could that happen again? Yeah, look, well, I mean, I'm no geopolitical pre- uh, predictor, but we, we've still got the war in Ukraine, as as Peter pointed out. Um, one of the things that always gets mentioned is China, and when you look at the economic outlook projections in the budget. I mean, they're still our biggest market, right? So what happens there is really important in terms of commodity prices. They, they're they relying on an improved outlook. There's the post-COVID kind of improved outlook in China, which means that construction and so on is continuing and the market expands there for our commodities and that will keep the price up. But I do wonder, there's been a lot of concern in the longer term. So uh, these things can be very volatile, mm. right? It has been volatile in, in the past. Um, I think he'd probably take another surplus, but I think his broader point has been made, which is who cares? And, and, and he well, well, can I just <laughs> stop you there? Because I mean, you, you started off talking about um, you know taking, and as Miranda quoted you on as well, taking the virility out of this idea of uh, the surplus and everything else. But we can't. Uh, I think it would be mistaken to forget that the that that the treasurer did bank. What was it? Ninety-two percent of revenue upgrades from in in October. That yeah, said, eighty-two percent this year. 80, yeah, so between eighty-seven percent return to the to the bottom line, paying off debt. Um, that's uh, that's pretty significant uh, in terms of putting the budget in a position to be in surplus. Yeah, the, the, he's been generous. It's not without some credit then that should go to the government. Well, he's getting credit in two ways because he's been generous in lots of fields. In small ways. Yes. Well, well, we'll come to that after a, a break. We'll talk about some of those uh, those different things that have been funded and how effective they will be. Uh, so let's take a quick break and be back in just a moment. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify 
or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Okay, welcome back to Democracy Sausage. I'm with Peter Martin and Miranda Stewart. We're talking about the budget, uh, 2023-24, which was uh, unveiled yesterday, the surplus budget. A lot of uh, measures in there. Peter, you were just saying before the break that uh, uh, the Treasurer or the government has been generous, but in... Homeopathic of- doses. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, like, like Job Seeker, you know, and um, congratulations to them for doing something. Yeah, they because, because treasurers yeah. have consistently not done anything on this. And, and what really disappoints me, what the uh, committee of, of experts, many of them uh, ANU uh, experts, uh, uh, Peter Whiteford, uh, Ben Phillips uh, among them, mm. what the committee of experts recommended is uh, a substantial increase or a commitment to a substantial increase, didn't need to happen all at once. To 90% yeah, of the aged pension. An extra yeah. 128 a, a week, right? Mm. Um, Chalmers delivered an extra $20 a week and, and uh, slightly more for Australians over 55. So, uh, you know, if you look at the, the rent assistance, you know, he made a lot of that, the biggest increase in 30 years, that's $16 a week. That's not a lot of coffees, right? No. Uh, you know, it's it's a very small portion of of, uh, of a house. And relatively few <laughs> rents that have increased would have increased by an increment smaller than that, and they may have increased more than once recently. Yeah, and they've done a lot of good things in the health area, a lot of good things, um, but they, they're costing, you know, boosting bulk billing for uh, low-income patients and, and children. Uh, That's pretty significant, that measure. Yeah, but it's yeah. a cost of $1.3 billion per year. It, they've they've spent they've done the right things. The the, the uh, energy package is probably about that much per year as well. They've done the right. I think things. it's three billion when you factor it, in the states as well. So it's one yeah, and a half yeah. billion between the Commonwealth and and another one and a half for the states. The right things in small doses. Now, I think that well, I'm a perennial optimist, Mark, uh, and I'm terribly trusting. Um, I have uh, the hope that uh, the Treasurer realises that he's going to need to do a lot more. Government uh, sp- you know, spending as a proportion of the economy is now about 26%. It used to be uh, 24, something like that. Uh, back in the 70s, it was 20. It'll probably need to be 28. It'll probably need to increase for your... NDIS, your defence, your health, all of these needs. He's talking about the need for more money, and I think he wants to be pressured. I think he he wants to start a conversation about a big tax of some kind, a tax change of some kind, that will bring in more money. Getting rid of or halving the uh, stage three tax cuts would be one thing, but uh, other things as well. He will need more money. He's starting to indicate that. And um, we will want him to do more. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the the cost of the submarines is, you know, hardly factored in at all. We will need him to do more. And uh, I think that down the track, if we want the government to do the kind of things that we want it to do, we're going to have to pay more money. And I think he's open to that conversation, although probably not uh, action before the election, as you're saying, mate. Miranda, there are a lot of small things done in this, uh, as as Peter says, uh, the the government's acted in in, a, in a, a range of different areas, a number of transfer payments and so forth. But they are modest changes. In aggregate, it might amount to a, a bit, but um, 
you know, for for people on the dole, I think it's you know two dollars forty eight a day or something. In other words, not enough to buy even one coffee. Hmm. Um, and yet they've delivered that surplus we've been talking about. Could they have done more, or is it the fact that structurally the budget's not in surplus? Yeah, I mean, of course, in a sense, they could have absorbed the surplus with a bit more spending in the current year. But the issue is not really about the current year. Uh, the issue is a, a longer term and structural issue. Um, the I think Peter's right to say that there's spending in the right places. And one of the things that's interesting looking at the budget is the way the focus on basic health care, uh, the focus on some of that uh, income support, the focus on in particular single parents, I mean abolishing parents next, some of these things were announced before the budget. Uh, these are actually the abolition of programs that cost administrative support and are coercive and the evidence shows do not get people into work and in fact make children worse off. So, you know, one, one of the things I quite like about the budget across all these different social policy areas is that there is some evidence-based change there has been empirical research done on some of these programs and they are winding back things that are harmful. But I think that the reality across all these fields is that it's not actually enough money. Uh, you know, I think it's about $5 billion on Medicare and it's focused on GPs and basic medicine. This is all good stuff. It's $5 billion over four or five years. Over four <laughs> or five years. It's just not enough, right? The Medicare system has really been creaking at the seams. Um, they haven't gone into educate, changing the, the allocation of funding for education for high schools. It's, we're still operating on the previous package previous amounts. And so, you know, these are all these public sector areas need more money. Um, I think that we can grow our way out of some of it, but not all of it. So they have left this kind of where can the revenue come from debate for the future. You know, they'll get a bit more from 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 high-end superannuation. They'll get a bit more from uh, from gas uh, in the short term, you know, petroleum and gas. Um, but there's not much else there in terms of revenue raising. So perhaps there's a tax reform debate to be had. Perhaps there's a returning to the, the revisiting those stage three tax cuts, which people like me have been banging on about to the boredom of everybody for what feels like at least a decade now. Yeah, it's not That's because they but... announced them way back before <laughs> COVID. Right? They still have, they don't take place till next year and they announced them so long ago. Well, this I was mean, a, this was yeah. a political wedge, right, that was uh, announced by the coalition government back in, I think, 2018, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's still working. It's still working because uh, this government wants to define itself in contradistinction to the previous government as a government that sticks to its promises, and it was very explicit about that before the election. Having backed the stage three tax cuts because it could not get the then government to separate the, the tax reform package, so Labor had to either vote against tax cuts for lower income earners, lower and middle income earners, um, in order to stop the higher income earners getting these tax cuts in 24-25, or vote for the whole package. And in the end, Labor decided to do that and now feels committed to it. It's a very interesting sort of political dynamic here around this because there is so much good evidence for why it... Uh, if it does, if it if it shouldn't be scrapped, should at least be adjusted. And people like Daniel Wood and probably you, Miranda, I suspect, uh, are arguing that at the very least there could be changes at the top end. Uh, yes, perhaps. some sort of adjustment. I mean, they they overdo the inflation return at the top. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, that's, that's the bracket unfairness. creep thing, right? Well, so you, it actually overcompensates for bracket creep for for high income earners. You, you think Miranda a uh, tax cut 
of $2,000 for someone on $120,000 is a bit much, do you? Of course, it's a bit much. That's. I think you're right, Mark. I think that's. I think it was a wedge. I think the idea was to do something so objectionable that by the time it arrived, and by the way, the uh, the benefits for low and middle earners uh, they've vanished because they are only temporary, <laughs> right? Okay, so they've gone. Uh, by the time it arrived, it would look so unacceptable that uh, Labor would have to reject it or or modify it. Um, my feeling is, and I'd be interested in your view on, on this, Mark, on the sort of politics, the, 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 there's no good way out of this. One thing is, yes, you want to keep your promises. The other is, do you want to do something that almost everyone, unless they're you know, a beneficiary and there aren't you know, that many of those at the top end, uh, thinks is repugnant? Um, it's not... It's not a case of one being right or, or the other being right, there, there are costs to doing both. Yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, I think it's fascinating to look at this in the, in the political dyma- dynamic of the current government because I, I think Albanese, for example, is probably less inclined to make changes to this package than would be Chalmers, which is funny when you think about it because uh, Chalmers comes from the right of the party and Albanese notionally from the left. But um, I think he's very wedded to this idea of fidelity in government, fidelity to what it was that you said beforehand. Oh, well, he's probably also wedded to the idea of being re-elected. I mean, I, I would be But interested that's what I'm in, getting at. Yeah. yeah, I guess. So I'd be interested in your view about whether if we do, if there was to be a change, winding back some of that, uh, some of that tax cut next year, isn't that just before the next... It is. Oh, it's a year before, to be fair. A year yeah. before, so in terms of the timing. Uh, I mean, and Peter's right that the Lamito is being... Uh, Lower middle income end. tax offset. The I just translated. Thank you. That's yeah, right. The so, so-called Lamington. Lamington. Yeah. A Lamington. So, yeah. so uh, people will not be getting as big a refund as they have done in the past uh, on Just that. when they need it. <laughs> Perhaps it was a thousand and four hundred dollars or something. A thousand and forty, I think. Yeah, yeah. people got uh, at the uh, the middle of last year. They won't be getting at the middle of this year when when they need it. Yeah, that's right. That's and they, they, by definition, yeah. low and middle income earners. So yes, they are going to feel that. And uh, David Crow made a very good point about that actually midweek uh, before the budget was tabled, where he said that um, you know once it were, in fact it was the day before the budget once it was known this uh, surplus was coming in at four point two billion. And he said that the uh, uh, the coalition opposed Labor getting rid of ending the Lamido, right? And even though they ended it, but it's another story. Yeah, that's well, that's right. But once they were in opposition, they were saying, seeing this is a sort of a tax increase because uh, a tax offset was being taken off the table, uh, being not extended by the current Labor government. Uh, and and Crow's point was that if the coalition backed it, there's your surplus gone straight away, eleven billion dollars, I think. Um, longer term, by the way, when I say longer term, I mean in the next year, uh, a decision will have to be made about stage three at a cost of $20 billion per year in the first year. Um, it's, so, it's so big, is it, that normally government revenue, you can see it in the uh, budget papers, mm. uh, the, the uh, final uh, document in uh, budget paper one, Normally, each year, government revenue increases by a lot. You know, what with inflation, what have you, uh, increased by 7% this year. Uh, uh, the, the year after next, it increases by 4%, then by 4%. But in the year beginning, the middle of 
20, uh, uh, 2024, when the tax cuts come in, government revenue increases by 0.4%. It doesn't increase. That's how big it is. Now, and why is that not inflationary? Why is what? Well, it is, of course, uh, to some ex- to, to some extent. Although, to be fair to high earners, they tend not to spend. Yeah, because they've got they, so much. Yeah, and they spend it overseas. <laughs> so, so, so maybe it's not as inflationary. Oh, but, that'd be saving, what a that'd great be consolation that is. But, but, but there is an opportunity, and I believe, um, I feel in my bones that this is what the treasurer wants. He wants to be pressured. Yes. He wants an environment to be created, as it will by people like me, you know, saying, do you really want to give someone $120,000, $2,000 per year? Um, he wants to be pressured. I, I can see, and I think it'll happen, that by the time the next budget comes, the discussion about this will be so advanced because, you know, it'll be finally happening that a decision to, say, halve the, halve the amount of it and make it more generous to uh, people who actually need it will be seen as obvious and it, and fairly non-controversial. I think we, we often, whenever there's a big change we, we or talk of a big change, we talk about how awful this will be. I mean, you know, the uh, Australian newspaper, bless them, tried to do this with the, the superannuation change for people with uh, excessively big superannuation accounts. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's going to be the end of the world. And yet, often when these things happen, uh, they happen quietly and people wonder why it never happened uh, before and what all the fuss was about. I think the politics can be arranged particularly with a lot of pressure, particularly with a lot of exposure. So the government needs to be losers. put under a lot of external he pressure. Want, I believe he wants to be pressured. He wants, he, he can't do it all himself. He wants the environment to be such that, uh, well, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, just can't really go ahead with this. In all conscience and, and common yeah. sense, yes. Now, look, in the, in the small amount of time we've got left, I wanted to talk about another area where there is uh, sort of ongoing public pressure, I suppose, Miranda, and that is in the sort of corporate tax area where, you know, there's, there's a fairly widespread sus- suspicion that you know, a lot of companies don't pay much tax. Some companies don't pay any tax. What did we learn from the budget about uh, the corporate tax? Oh, the companies, you know, there are some companies that pay a lot of tax and that's why those commodity receipts are increasing our revenues so Very much. Good so point. you've got to remember that. Um, that's driving the surplus. Uh, and Australian companies, to, to be fair to them, because they like to pay frank dividends to their investors, uh, often pay a lot of tax. Uh, cross-border, that's less less the case because uh, global multinationals don't really have any interest in paying tax uh, in Australia. They'd, they'd rather not. Uh, and similarly with our, our party, our companies that go internationally. So, I mean, one thing that's interesting in the back of the budget, uh, as well as various anti-avoidance measures, which don't have any revenue attached because they can't work out what revenue might be gained, um, is that they're targeted at multinational enterprises, including Australian-owned ones that are quite large. And the goal is to um, 
Australia has committed to sign up to a multilateral uh, agreement for a global minimum tax on large corporates. So it's just a line item in the budget. Uh, that would be an effective minimum tax of 15%, which essentially prevents uh, holding funds, transferring funds to tax havens and so on. So that's that's a, the first commitment we've seen on that. That's good to see. But that's potentially pretty significant, isn't it? I mean, it hasn't received a lot of attention. It's, it's because it's hard to quantify, is it? It's pretty hard to quantify. It's a kind of change in the international structure for how global corporates are treated uh, between countries. Uh, and in you know those of us who are international tax nerds think it's pretty exciting. Um, I think Australia's been a strong supporter of that BEPS process bilaterally. Like so, uh, BEPS stands for. BEPS is base erosion and profit shifting. So it's the tax avoidance process for multinationals. Bipartisan support is what I meant to say. Yeah. Matthias Corman in uh, the, Corman the OECD at, has been pushing for it. Now at the OECD. And so this is our first commitment that we will actually make this law reform change. And my guess is it will be bipartisan. And it's, it's quite a good thing, this, isn't it? Because it's, what this is really is it, it's, it's sort of um, – uh, the tax system catching up with the fact that we live in a global world and that companies operate across national borders, and they've been gaming the system, uh, moving their their uh, their tax liabilities into those jurisdictions where it's most favourable, where they have to pay the least. It's, a, it's us. doing all kinds of stuff like you know, sort of having their divisions lend to each other and then turning yeah. losses in in uh, in domestic markets and so but it, forth. It, it's us using our great power that we rarely use. Governments can operate like cartels. There aren't that many of them in developed countries. They don't get and on too well a lot well, of the time. Yes, but if if each of them say, look, have the deductions, do whatever you want, profit shift, we don't care, but you're paying 15% tax. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good idea. If everyone does it and they say, what, where do you want to go? Antarctica? Mm, mm. If, mm. if we do that and we've done too little of it, but uh, this is a start. This is really good. Miranda, you were saying earlier that this will catch big Australian companies as well because Australian companies tend to do business overseas. Uh, look, most of our, we're talking about corporate multinationals that have a global turnover of a, about a billion or more. And that sounds like a lot of revenue, but in the large corporate space, that there would be quite a few uh, Australian corporates that are in that space as well as internationally. So it will it will apply to our large corporates, uh, you know, so even, even the mining companies, if they've got marketing hubs in low-tax jurisdictions, for example. Um, I, I don't know how much revenue, to be honest. It's more of a kind of institutional or structural change that, that sort of protects the base for the future. And just to, just to finish on, on tax, that's the thing I think that's missing really from the budget, and maybe there's a tax reform process in future, is, is protecting the base uh, of the income tax for individuals as well as companies proper tax reform to ensure that we're taxing income from capital and labour fairly. We still need to be thinking about that. You mentioned trusts again. We were talking before. We should never do that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and why did you mention trusts? 
for individuals? Well, you might remember, well, trust taxation is still, I would say, the dominant way that privately held investment and business wealth in Australia is uh, has its tax rate minimised. I mean, the top income tax, the top, top income people in Australia are not actually paying 47%. They're paying a maximum of 30% or 25% because they're using corporate entities uh, and they're income splitting through trusts. And, um, you know, this is still unfinished business. Joe Hockey tried to do it. Like, it's a very difficult thing to do. But because of the superannuation change that we're going to see where we're taxing high balances, we're going to see even more pressure at the top end as high income earners pull their capital out of super uh, and try to get a lower rate uh, through trusts. Sounds like some very tough decisions that are going to be, or some some thorny debates that the government needs to embark on. And as you say, Peter, um, uh, you know, they're going to have to, uh, they'll be aided by that to some extent if there is a, a, a rigorous public debate about it and people making the case for change, not just the government, but but uh, but independent, people independent of the government making persuasive cases for, for change. It's just the nature of politics, I suppose. Yeah, I call this uh, Chalmers to Karen Carpenter budgets. We've only just begun. <laughs> um, the, 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 the really difficult stuff is going to be making more money. And um, I think is up to it, but I don't think it's something that'll happen in the next budget. Oh, you know, with the exception of stage three, they'll have to make a decision about that. Mm. But uh, beyond the Which election, wasn't in this budget, by the way, <laughs> didn't get a mention. Yeah, but uh, well, it'll have to be um, either it'll either be mentioned in the next budget or its absence will be noted very much. Yes, yes. Uh, but you know, beyond the election. The, the priority will have to be working out how much money the government needs, you know, because of the, the various uh, needs. We all know what they are that, mm. that, that are growing and uh, then how to get it. Now, the problem is, I suppose, Chalmers is a bit um, um, uh, uh, scarred by the experience uh, when he uh, worked for Wayne Swan uh, during the Henry Tax Review and, you know, the the, uh, the uh, Basically, Prime Minister lost his job over the, mm. the mining super profits tax, but um, it's what's going to have to happen, uh, and uh, it'll happen soon, but probably not before the election. But I, I think Chalmers wants it. Well, my sense is that I, I agree there's a degree of scarring there, but my sense about him is that he's a very strategic thinker. He's thinking in the long term about the, the structure of this economy. He understands the sort of politics. I think Albanese has sort of incrementalist um, uh, proclivities, if I can put it that way, uh, in terms of um, uh, the way he sees politics. And I think that's the nature of of this government. And we see that incrementalism really even in the way the spending that happened in this budget occurred, as you said. In good things in small doses, Good mate. things, yeah. <laughs> a lot for a little and a little for a lot was uh, how someone described it this morning. Uh, look, that's all we've got time for on Democracy Sausage this week. Um Thanks very much, Peter Martin and Miranda Stewart, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again at another time. And that's Democracy Sausage for this week. You can uh, contact us at our uh, email, which is democracysausage at anu.edu.au, and uh, we look forward to your thoughts there. That's it, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye for now. Small details are big surfaces. 
Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured, or tall? Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.